0: Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a Buddhist-oriented path to recovery from addictions. For more information, please visit us at refugerecovery.org. Uh, welcome to everybody. Anybody that hasn't joined before, this is the monthly Dharma talk meditation offering by Refuge Recovery
1: World Services. I'm Noah. This is not a um, Refuge Recovery meeting. Refuge Recovery meetings are peer-led. And this is a teacher-led offering that we at World Services make available once a month. If you're looking for a peer-led meeting, you can find lots on our listings of meetings on Zoom
0: or in person around the country. So I think that tonight I was um, running a little bit late. I feel a little bit scattered. I'd like to just start
1: with a meditation. I'll offer some basic mindfulness instructions and then we'll Have some conversation after that. So find a way to sit that's upright, relaxed. And we'll jump right into sitting meditation.
0: Posture that feels sustainable. Comfortable, at least to begin with. Allowing your eyes to be gently closed. Taking a moment to release any unnecessary tension in the body, softening, releasing, and bringing an attitude of kindness, of friendliness, self-acceptance to ourselves here and now. To the body, the heart, the mind. We practice mindfulness, bringing our attention fully into the present time experience. Mindfulness is defined as non judgmental present time
1: awareness and has the quality of investigating what's happening moment to moment and we do it with as much of a attitude a perspective of kindness as we can so we're bringing awareness but a kind awareness to our own bodies to the emotions and thoughts sense
0: sensory experiences that we have as we meditate spend the first few minutes being mindful of the breath breathing in feel the sensations the breath creates as it enters breathing out feel the sensations how they're different from the inhale as you exhale Of course the attention doesn't stay with the breath, it gets drawn away by sounds, by thoughts, by other sensations. Remember the attitude of acceptance. Of course the attention doesn't stay. We have to re-turn, re-establish.
1: Recommit, coming back to the breath, over and over, each time the attention gets drawn away.
0: Noting, what has taken the attention? Is it thinking or hearing? Something else? Name it. Trying not to create an adversarial relationship with the mind that likes to think, plan, remember. Hope, fear, but seeing how we can disengage from the mind, choose to bring the attention back to the breath over and over. The quality of interest, investigation, is key. Even just with the breath itself, investigating, what's the texture, temperature, duration of each breath? Where's the beginning, the middle, the end of the inhale or the exhale? The more we meditate, the more our attention can become more clear, more precise. Waking us up to the Constantly changing nature of sensation. The truth of impermanence revealed right here in the breath. So much of our suffering is created in our minds the mind's tendency to crave to resent self-centered tendencies of our thinking i me mine disengaging from the identification with the thinking mind coming back to the breath We're not stopping the mind from thinking, but we can not pay so much attention to
1: what it's doing. Give your primary attention to the body's
0: experience of breathing. Let the thoughts be in the background, over and over, disengaging, over and over, coming back to, am I breathing in or out? What's it feel like? This first foundation, mindfulness of the breath, part of breaking
1: our addiction to thinking, our identification
0: with habitually obeying our thoughts and emotions. The more we learn to be mindful of the body, the more we see clearly how the mind has a mind of its own. Thoughts continuing all by themselves. Beginning to wake up to the impersonal,
1: non-volitional aspect of the thinking mind.
0: It's not your fault. It's not who we are. But it is part of our human experience we all live with. The thinking mind. It creates so much unnecessary suffering. And when we obey it, when we believe it, leads to all kinds of difficulties in our lives. Take refuge in the breath, in the present time experience of sitting and breathing, letting go of the past and future. Return to the breath over and over. When you're ready, allowing your eyes to be open, adding seeing to the present time experience, allow your body to move, to stretch,
1: continuing mindfulness rather than this present time awareness being something we only do when we're meditating, include the seeing and moving and bringing your attention back to the screen, present
0: time awareness. Give me one moment oh never mind but i needed to close the door but it's already closed so welcome um i don't have a topic tonight you get to decide what the
1: topic is so reflect a little bit this is the um opportunity to Discuss anything about Buddhism, um, and you know, refuge recovery, of course, is is Buddhism. And we, you know, most most of the basics of Buddhism are included in our refuge recovery program. But as you start to practice and maybe study and reading some some of the Buddhist literature, maybe some other books that are out there, even just within the refuge book. Uh, maybe some questions that come up about how to how to practice or how to understand or uh, you know things you've heard uh, are Buddhism and how do they fit with what we're doing and refuge recovery. So for tonight, you know, we've got a half hour or so for just some dialogue, some questions, some topics that you would like to uh, discuss, hear about, ask me questions about. I'll do my best to share what I know. Uh, my perspectives and understanding of Buddhism. So any any questions? And in order to ask a question, you go to the reactions tab, I believe, and then you raise your hand, and a little hand will go up on the screen, and then I can call on you. So reflect for a moment. What is it about Buddhism, meditation,
0: meditation, um, that you might like to discuss tonight? I got a question in the chat, which I guess is okay too, but also um,
1: I'll, I'll take this one from Gabrielle uh, in the chat, but uh, it's okay okay to uh, to ask a question too, I guess. Um, It says, I would really love to hear you talk about fierce compassion in terms of how to add that protectiveness and
0: accountability in addition to holding gentle, caring space. I like uh, Gabrielle just the way that you phrase it and ask the question and
1: um and somewhat kind of answer it and you know the uh protectiveness and accountability in addition to holding gentle caring space and even just the term fierce and compassion. Um I remember when I early you know heard uh heard about fierce compassion because my own sense. And I think the general sense of compassion is that it's not all that fierce, that compassion is, I don't know, soft or vulnerable or uh, real loving or real uh, kind. Um, And it is all of those things. You know, sometimes compassion is very much um, the softness of accepting pain, our pain or other people's pain the openness the intimacy with pain a friendliness generally i think i experience compassion as meeting pain with a friendly attitude with a kind response this is talked about a little bit more in um, tibetan buddhism they talk about fierce compassion i don't know how many of you have seen the art of the like tibetan tonka paintings where often there are these um deities that look like they look like demons they look and sometimes they're even called wrathful deities uh with the wrath with the, the fear fierceness ferocity of um you know skulls and sometimes they're even like Cutting the heads off of other living beings, and sometimes they have weapons, and you know all of this stuff that we would associate with kind of violence and <laughs> demons, and um, but the Tibetans have this really interesting reframe and and um, understanding that that they're actually uh, deities. And you know, even even the whole deity thing in Tibetan Buddhism, ultimately, it's supposed to be uh, aspects of our own mind that they're not so much external uh, beings as much as aspects of the human condition. And so that art is this beautiful representation. i I find it quite beautiful um of the fierce that sometimes compassion is uh needs to be strong needs to be vehement needs to be um fierce in its response to suffering in its uh response to ignorance in the world that we can't uh, there's sometimes an, a danger of our kindness or our compassion or our becoming complacency or becoming um Ineffectual. And the Tibetan saying, actually, actually, sometimes we have to work incredibly hard to respond incredibly fiercely in a wise way to oppression or to ignorance. Uh, that sometimes it's uh, the conflict that's necessary is about holding um, ourselves accountable, holding other people accountable in whatever ways that we can. So, uh again, I, I like you know, the way you asked it, Gabrielle, around the terms of uh, how to add the protectiveness and accountability uh to holding the gentle caring space. And it's not that I can truly uh answer how we do that, but that this just that that's part of the goal. that sometimes we think of compassion as just the gentle holding of each other's pain, of our own pain, of each other's pain, but that there is also this um, willingness to be protective and to hold ourselves fully accountable, hold other people accountable. Now, anytime we talk about compassion, whether it's fierce compassion or uh, gentle compassion, it always has to be balanced. And especially, when I think, when we start talking about accountability has to be balanced with the understanding of equanimity. And equanimity, so no matter how fierce or or you know, how genuine and uh, authentic our compassion is, and wanting to create a positive change, wanting to protect, wanting to uh, hold accountable, we have to understand also the Buddha's teachings and the, the truth of equanimity and karma that everyone has their own karma, and that um, everyone is already totally accountable for their own actions. And that the happiness or the unhappiness that we're experiencing, that anybody's experienced, is based on how we're responding to what's happening. You know, probably know this from the refuge equanimity meditation, which is a companion to the compassion meditation. In compassion, we're trying to develop friendliness towards pain and uh, caring towards each other's pain. And in equanimity, we're saying like, I care deeply, passionately, fiercely. But also I understand in equanimity that I cannot control anybody. I can't end anyone else's suffering. I can hold you accountable in you know word and indeed and and all of that but ultimately you are already accountable for your own actions and your happiness or unhappiness depends on how you behave not my wishes for you not my compassion
0: um so i find it a little tricky to talk about but we do have to look at both sides and
1: i think that um there's a danger of us taking on too much responsibility for other beings and the kind of trying to hold each other accountable. We have to understand, we have to have the humility of understanding our limitations. There's only so much we can do. We can be honest, we can have good communication, You know for instance when you're mentoring someone in in refuge you can give them all of the good assignments (laughs) and you can say i'm going to hold you accountable to doing these assignments but if they don't do it that's on them right you can't make anybody meditate you can't make anybody do the inventories you can't make anybody take a service a commitment or be generous or you can only suggest out of compassion, out of love. Now, sometimes maybe the fierce compassion piece comes when we uh, you know, the accountability comes when we say, like, look, um, you know, call me when you've finished five of your inventory questions and not until then, because you're not doing the work and you're just calling to want to chat about your week and your relationships, and that's okay. But also, I'm not your therapist, I'm your mentor, we're here to do the work do the work call me then and you know and i'm going to hold you accountable to that and i'm not available to you until you have you know doing the work if you're not doing the work i'm you know i'm not here to chat i've got people that want to actually do this and i don't know i'm going on a tangent with the inventories but you know what i mean as a uh part of the accountability that we can have where we're not uh, enabling people where we're we're actually holding people
0: accountable in that way So I don't know. I went all over the place with that question. But thank
1: you, Gabrielle. I hope that was uh, helpful. And um, I'll move on to this next question. Are people not able to raise their hands or they just don't want to? I'm getting questions in the chat and not not live, but maybe you're just shy. That's okay. Um, The next one in the chat is, is reincarnation an element of
0: refuge recovery? Um, is it, (laughs) um, is it even mentioned in the book? I'm asking you because I don't remember. (laughs) Um, I don't think so. Yeah, I see some heads shaking. Nope, it's not mentioned. So
1: what so um what, what how do i answer this what i'll say i guess if it's a yes or no question the answer is no it's not an element of refuge recovery that having been said refuge recovery is based in buddhism primarily inspired by what is called uh, Theravadan Buddhism, early Buddhism as practiced in Sri Lanka and Burma and Thailand, and you know dates back to Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, and um, and the Buddha taught that there was uh, taught reincarnation. It's part of it's part of the Buddhist teachings that there is reincarnation. Now, my sense when I was creating Refuge was that it's not. Uh, not necessary. And, and when I was then and now, my, my sense is that it's not a necessary belief um, in order to benefit fully from the meditations and the principles and the renunciation and the practice of the Eightfold Path.
0: Um, in the teachings of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path,
1: Uh, Here's what I want to say, but I have to think about it. I want to say reincarnation is not part of the traditional formulation of the four truths, which include the Eightfold Path. That it is a philosophical and, and teaching aspect of in other areas of the Buddha's teachings, but it wasn't in the Four Truths Eightfold Path. But I'm not sure that that is totally true. The first factor of the Eightfold Path is understanding the way things are, wise understanding. One of the aspects of understanding is understanding karma. I think in refuge, I talk about cause and effect. Understanding karma, cause and effect. Traditionally, this is also where the Buddha's teachings on the um, 12 links of dependent origination come in. And um, dependent origination or dependent co-arising is also a place where the Buddha talks about how the cycle of rebirth, of reincarnation happens. So I think that what I did when I was creating Refuge, and I have a tendency to do this, is say like, you don't have to believe in reincarnation, but you do have to reflect on and come to understand cause and effect. And so we can understand that here and now without belief in past lives or future lives, cause and effect karma
0: of how things are unfolding right now. And that traditionally is also that that cause and effect,
1: the way that we behave in this lifetime is going to continue after death. The karma of that, the karmic momentum that there will be a rebirth, a reincarnation it's not really talked about in refuge because it's not important for your recovery from addiction <laughs> uh, as far as i i don't think it is it, it wasn't important in my recovery from addiction and maybe i'm wrong actually maybe there's some people out there that if we were a little bit stronger about if you don't recover in this lifetime <laughs> you're gonna keep coming back uh maybe there's some people that it would uh inspire to get their shit together To get you know to come into recovery it wasn't my you know so wasn't my experience um i'll
0: tell you what you know kind of reflecting on reincarnation did for me though because i'm you
1: know i know this wasn't your question john but i'm gonna i'm going on a tirade here i didn't believe really I didn't really believe in reincarnation when I came into recovery but I was raised with the perspective so that that's one one of the um maybe maybe there's not that many of you but probably some some of you are raised by hippies that believed in reincarnation or Buddhists that believed in reincarnation or um so I was I was raised by people that believed in reincarnation I was skeptical but it was in there you know i was conditioned that you know we don't really die that there's something that you know continues probably a lot of our community was conditioned with eternalist views of an afterlife that you don't really die you go somewhere forever You know, my, you know my folks bought more into the buddhist system of you know you know you, your body dies but your you know karma comes back Now, I also had uh, an experience that I'm sure many of you, many of our community has experienced of uh, feeling pretty actively suicidal Um, and that suicidal ideation and that kind of repetitive desire to not exist, the craving for non-existence. and, And that actually, the more I reflected on the possibility that death is not the end that there is something that continues and that uh, the the less it made killing myself feel like a very good solution to
0: things. Because what a fucking bummer if you kill yourself to get out and it doesn't
1: really end. (laughs) And you're just trading in this suffering for a whole new, life of more suffering, a whole new existence of more suffering, rather than like, I just want out. I, I want I want this shit to end. That's why I would kill myself, because I want this shit to end.
0: But just the possibility that reincarnation is part of it. gave me a lot of pause now eventually the principles of refuge the dharma
1: practice the uh, healing that has taken place in recovery has led to a place where actually I don't want out anymore I'm quite happy that I didn't you know pull the plug when I was younger and and suicidal and uh because actually mindfulness and compassion and the wisdom that has come in, come you know through the recovery practices Uh, has made life uh, very much uh,
0: worth living. So I'll say a couple more things about reincarnation. I talked about dependent origination a minute ago. Dependent origination is this
1: model, this map of when we are ignorant and we are being driven by our craving and our clinging that leads to suffering and death, that that just leads to another birth. And then ignorance and clinging and craving and death, and then another birth, and then ignorance and craving and clinging. So dependent origination just says like, there's this cycle. Now, a lot of Buddhists are, you know, this is reincarnation. Now, some of us Western, psychologically minded, materialist, rationalist, Buddhist said, maybe this isn't about reincarnation in lifetime to lifetime. Maybe this is just about moment to moment that we're reincarnating over and over in this lifetime. That it's all just a map of when we're ignorant and we're craving and we're clinging, it's as though we are dead. But when we are wise, and we are meeting our pain with compassion, and the pleasure with non-attachment, and we're not coming from a place of ignorance and confusion, that's what it is to actually be incarnated, to actually experience wisdom here and now in this lifetime. And that the whole reincarnation thing maybe is uh, just here and now. Maybe just moment to moment. So I like that perspective. I also uh, like this perspective that, like you you reflect, I'll ask you this as a question, everyone who's listening. How many different incarnations have you been through so far in
0: this lifetime? (laughs) I mean, you know, did you have an incarnation before you became an addict?
1: Was there a, 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 you know, when you were a kid? There was like, I was that kid that was not an addict. I was just a kid that liked to start fires. (laughs) Or whatever it was for you. I was just that kid. That was who I was. And it sounded like that was an, an incarnation. And then there was that, that teenage, you know, Teenage incarnation? Are you the same person you were when you were a teenager? Has that
0: changed? Have you matured? That young adult, that kind of, uh,
1: even just the different identities that we've had, incarnations as identities. There's that great song that says, I was a surfer, I had a skateboard, I was so metal, I was, <laughs> uh, you know, I w- whatever it was for you, I was a jock, I was a, you know, cholo, I was a, you know, I was a biker, I was a punker, I was a junkie, I was a, you know, alcoholic. And that was my, I had this whole incarnation of being an alcoholic. And now, I don't want to get too woo-woo into, you know, rebirth or any of that. But now, this new incarnation of, now I'm, my new incarnation is of a recovery person. I'm a meditator. I'm somebody who's uh, trying to have this life of service and kindness and This is a whole new incarnation this isn't the person that used to be an active addiction of course that person still lives in my memories you know there's that you know past life regression we can remember it (laughs) for some of you not so long ago some of you are still you know just trying to crawl out of that incarnation into this
0: one into this realm of being a recovering person Anyways, I go on all of these tangents,
1: because uh, I think there's lots of different ways to think about um, reincarnation, not just in the big, I die, I get reborn, but the moment to moment, or then just even
0: in this lifetime, the different ways that we show up. Michelle, go for it, jump in.
1: I'm not shy. Uh, So I've had mentees in the past argue with me about the need to do forgiveness practice and how it's not part of the heart practices and even though it's suggested in the book they don't like it so maybe can you talk about that a little the importance
0: of doing forgiveness practice yeah um i mean i think that there's a pretty strong argument
1: that it is part of the Heart practices that it's an aspect of metta um in the t- buddha's teachings on metta loving kindness there's uh, three places in the teachings on loving kindness where the buddha talks about the necessity of forgiveness um in order to get to a place of actually having loving kindness for ourselves or or each other so it's almost like a prerequisite it's It's one of the reasons why I put it as a core practice in in Refuge of alternating mindfulness and forgiveness right from the beginning. My sense is that resentment, self-hatred and and resentment towards others is um, what's going to uh, prevent us from recovering more than anything else. And that it's a necessity in order to Recover in a in a deep and and true way, and not just abstain, not just a, you know establish abstinence, but actually recover some true sense of well being in our lives. So that's my sense, and that's why it's in there. But I hear your question of, um, you know, what do we do when you know somebody doesn't agree? Uh, my, you know, everybody has different styles, and you know, we were talking earlier about the.
0: Fierce compassion.
1: I'm not that interested in convincing anybody of anything. I'm really happy for everyone to figure it out for themselves (laughs) and to find their own way and to not get too fundamentalist about like, well, you have to do this and you have to believe this you know, we can just say like, hey, here's, you know, here's what refuge is doing. Here's what, you know, the interpretation of this Buddhist path is. And it's actually, you get to choose for yourself. Do you, you know, how free do you want to be? And, you know, and go for it. You want to try to recover without forgiving yourself. Good luck. (laughs) Uh, It's a little bit like in the, uh, you know, For me i and maybe this is too extreme in my own biases but it's a little bit like the alcoholic saying like yeah i don't want to be an alcoholic but i don't want to stop drinking you know i'm going to find a a balanced relationship to alcohol and so i don't know i I have that sort of extreme view of like um trying to really recover not just not drink or not just not be an active addiction but to really have the freedom um, forgiveness is necessary. And uh, you know, and if you don't believe that, that's okay. Like go find your way with it. But that's that's my experience, that's my understanding, and I believe it is the the Buddha's teaching. So um, you know, you don't have to convince anybody. But as a mentor, you get to all mentors get to find their own way, Men, some mentors. Uh, are quite open, you know, and kind of say like, sure, I'll work with you, and um, you know, and and let the 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 mentee sort of say like, well, I want to do this, but I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do forgiveness, and I'll do these inventory questions, but not these ones, or you know, and some some mentors are quite open and be like, cool, like I'll work with you where you're at. Um, others, you know, sort of where I was coming earlier around accountability, you might find yourself to be someone who says like, well as a mentor, all I can do is take you through the refuge recovery program as it is outlined in the book. And as it's outlined in the book is that we do forgiveness meditation. If you're not willing to do the forgiveness practice that that the refuge program consists of, then probably I'm not the right mentor for you because all I can do is support you in this method. And this method includes forgiveness. If you're going to reject a core part of this method, I, I, I'm not going to give you my time and energy because I'm somebody who is doing this method and I don't, you know, I don't know how to do it a different way. So, you know, I'm going to keep you accountable to that. And maybe you could find somebody who uh, is looser, you know, if you're somebody who's like, I want to keep to the fundamentals, you know, then maybe
0: it's not the right person to mentor, you know? I did a meditation retreat last weekend, and there was a few people there, one person in
1: particular that I'm thinking about with uh, long term abstinence in the twelve step world long term many years, and you know was coming and saying, You know, I sober for a long time, but uh, I never learned how to forgive myself, and I'm pretty miserable and um You know, that's why I'm coming to Refuge, because I heard that you guys know how to forgive yourself over here. And that's
0: what I need. And, um, you know, and I just felt like that was beautiful.
1: And it is one of the things that Refuge Recovery offers in a clear way that
0: most, most other approaches to recovering from addiction don't really. So. Hope that was good enough yeah no thank you welcome justin. yeah I was just curious about. um,
1: What influence like 12 step programs had on refuge
0: as you were creating it um, and what influence it had on you personally. So. um, The main thing that I uh feel like is a 12-step influence
1: that didn't really exist in in Buddhism as far as I could tell but was a 12-step principle that I had personally benefited deeply from is the making of amends you know what in the 12 steps is the the ninth step amends and Um, In Buddhism, there's more of a perspective of like, you have your karma for your past harms that you've caused, and you own that, and you purify your karma through positive action. Now, that 12-step perspective that says, uh, you know, part of that positive action, you know, is going and making direct amends uh, to the people, apologizing, asking for forgiveness, uh, asking if there's anything that you can do to right the wrong to mend the harm that we've caused I found that so powerful in my recovery and the you know influence by the 12-step world and that when I was creating Refuge I was like oh like that doesn't really exist in Buddhism we gotta put it in there (laughs) I feel like that you know that was something really really important to put in to uh, what we're doing over here in Refuge so there's that and then the whole you know so there's that specific principle making amends now justin then there's the actually the whole concept of peer-led recovery mutual help society of one addict helping another addict fellowship song you know uh is all inspired by alcoholics anonymous as the original 12-step program that then inspired N.A. and C.A. and M.A. and all of the other anonymous programs. Um, I benefited and was very inspired by one addict helping another, one alcoholic helping another, rather than and getting, you know, even in the spiritual practice, what the 12 steps did was so radical, saying like, you can have this direct relationship with God, you can have this you know higher power you know whatever rather than needing to go through the church or the priest or some intermediary you can have this direct experience and that was a radical thing that the 12 steps did and then me you know and buddhism being a bit you know non-theistic uh, but also buddhism has this same system of like well you need a dharma teacher and you need a temple and you need a tradition and a lineage and Um, us also doing this radical thing saying, like, you don't need a meditation teacher. You can teach each other. You don't need, you know, uh uh, uh, you know, to be part of some religious structure. You can apply this to your own life and support each other in this Um, is this really radical, uh, peer-led helping each other spiritual practice, totally inspired by what they did in Alcoholics Anonymous 90 years ago totally inspired by, by what they did. Um, so a lot of influences. I was in an AA meeting a couple of years ago uh, at one of the meetings I got sober in 35 years ago. And some of the old folks that knew me for decades were, were in there and um, some of them don't like that I went off and created a different recovery approach. but well, and But some of them do and you know one of the old guys was like you know it's so great to see noah here at this meeting and you know what he did with refuge recovery he's like it's just a testament to the 12 steps and how you know the 12 steps created this peer led recovery movement and then there's been all of these different things that have come off it he said and in my mind refuge recovery is part of the 12 step lineage now i know some of you have so many resentments towards the 12 steps you don't like hearing that <laughs> But I quite liked hearing it because I think it's quite true because um, if I hadn't, you know, found refuge uh, in, if I hadn't found the fellowship of those those 12step rooms and the people that even though they were speaking a philosophy that didn't resonate with me and a religious view that didn't make sense to me, what I found there was a bunch of addicts helping each other. and that helped me and let me be Buddhist while hanging out with the 12-step people and uh, eventually led to the creation of refuge recovery so I could probably think of a couple of other things but those are some of the things that come to mind Justin
0: so for your personal experience
1: you were sober quite a while before creating refuge and that was
0: through a 12-step program
1: yeah I you know I started um i've been sober since 1988 and in 1988 when i entered into recovery i started practicing buddhism right away Uh, i started meditating and practicing buddhism but i also went to 12-step rooms because it was the only you know the buddhists that i was hanging out didn't really understand addiction they understand buddhism but not really addiction and then the 12-step people understood recovery but they didn't really understand buddhism (laughs) (laughs) and not having a higher power and being a a a meditator um so yes you know uh i've i continue and i'm always open about this i continue to to participate in in uh, aa and um it's been a part of my life for 35 years but buddhism always made more sense to me and always was actually my recovery program because it's what I was doing for my recovery, even though
0: you know i i've done lots of rounds of the 12 steps. But from a Buddhist perspective last one, Donna hi there. Um,
1: this has been so great and enlightening. Um, Noah. but uh, I think it's kind of piggybacking on Justin with i had a friend who's recently started aa and i'm trying i'm just saying hey there's also something else because what he came to me to say is that he really has a problem saying i'm an alcoholic and and he's taught he's seeing people who've been there 35 years and they're still it's almost like it's keeping you like what is the view that's different because it's almost like it's He's they're keeping in constant suffering of that, and I love what you said about incarnating. And there was a time in our life when we weren't addicted, and you know how I love when you said recovering a recovering person as opposed to I'm an alcohol owning that. I mean, I'm just confused on, I, I, and I don't know enough to
0: really know what to say to him, or even to understand it. my
1: own opinion is is that there's um there is some benefits to all of us it's even in refuge you know the first truth uh accepting admitting acknowledging doing away with any shred of denial about the fact that we've become addicts
0: it is our first step also (laughs) we
1: don't, um, you know, introduce ourselves in that way or take on that identity as, you know, the way that we introduce ourselves or or this identity of, well, who I am as an addict, although, although that is true about us. And it was probably really radical and, um, you know, liberating for those people, you know, in the 1930s and 40s to admit that they were alcoholics and to actually introduce and to take the shame away from being an alcoholic and say my name's noah and i'm an alcoholic that was probably really you know groundbreaking when there was such a stigma and such so much shame around it so they were kind of owning it and then it just became the thing and here we are 90 late 90 years later um you know and no matter how long you've been sober you continue to introduce yourself and name your you know I've even, I've even have been to some meetings where they say, "What's your name and what's your disease?" <laughs> hmm. So, of course, we don't adhere to all of those. Refuge doesn't have have all share all of those perspectives.
0: This isn't really your question, I don't think, Donna, but I'll I'll reflect this to you. With, with the reincarnation and the identification.
1: Part of what Buddhism is asking us to do is to um, investigate what we're identified with, our personalities. Like even that question of like, who are you? And, um, you know, what would you say? Well, my name is this and my profession is this. Then maybe you'd start to get down to like, what well, my gender identity is this or, uh, my, you know, subculture is this, or my, you know, I'm passionate about these things. That's part of who I am. In the meditation tonight, I said something like, you know, we, you know, start to see that we're not our minds. Uh, maybe at some point in, you know, your Buddhist exploration, you'll start to see I'm not. This body isn't really who I am. This body that is subject to sickness and aging and death. This impermanent form it's not my true identity this is such a temporary form that's unfolding here so in this lifetime i have these relative identities of male or female or transgendered or straight or gay or bisexual or i have i have all of these relative things that are true totally true on the relative level but ultimately i'm not my gender i'm not my Uh, sexual orientation. I'm not my race or my, uh, you know, religious upbringing. You know, uh, none of those things are actually who I, aren't my true self. That's not who I really am. Those are just conditions of this lifetime. Likewise, being an addict, being an alcoholic, you know, your friend's question about like, do I have to keep being, uh, you can understand it on a relative level, yeah, on a relative level like you're an alcoholic you're an addict whatever it's not who you really are but it's part of what's happened in this incarnation it's not your true identity it's you know you don't need to uh but it's part of the experience in this life and one of the good things i think of remembering in the way that they do over there remembering that we're alcoholics or addicts is to remember that we don't get to you know we don't return to using. We don't return to, you know, like, I'm an alcoholic, therefore I don't drink one day at a time, all of that. I'm an addict, therefore I don't engage in that stuff. And that there can maybe be the danger over here with what we're doing. One of their their critiques of us might be like, hey, you guys are going to forget. You don't even, you know, introduce yourselves as addicts. You might forget you're an addict and think that you can. Go do some psychedelics and call it psychotherapy. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that diss out there for anybody who's thinking about using psychedelics as
0: <laughs> uh, treatment. anyways, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna end
1: I'm gonna end there. Um, I hope that was helpful, Donna, and everybody. Good to see you. You know, with something like this, where it's a Q and A, some of it's Traditional Buddhism, some of it's my views and opinions. I hope that it's helpful. I I ask you to um, not believe a word I say, but to reflect on it and to find out for yourself what's true. You know, I I don't at all want to be the ultimate authority or demand any sort of faith from anyone. Um, I share my experience, my understanding of Buddhism, You know, you get to find out for yourself what's true for you. And this is the spirit of the Buddha's teachings of the Dharma is that we all have to find out for ourselves and do the
0: work for ourselves. So I, I, you know, end with that. Many goodness that comes from our practice and meditation discussion of
1: the dharma tonight be shared outward in all directions sharing this merit with all of the suffering addicts who haven't found recovery yet as well of all of us in recovery who haven't quite ended our suffering yet and outward in all directions may each of us get as free as possible and together may we create a positive change on this planet Thanks, everybody, for tuning in tonight. And uh...
0: Refuge Recovery is freely offered. If you'd like to make a donation to support us, you may do so by following the link in the episode notes. We appreciate your generosity.